The Secrets of Sacred Art is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Sacred Art where we unearth the hidden treasures, history, and deeper meanings in religious and sacred art. We're your hosts, Alex Murray and Catherine Laffrey. Welcome to Episode 10, The Art of Altar Bread. In this episode, we'll explore all the art and images of making altar bread in the Latin Rite of the Catholic Church, and we'll also look at a few from the Eastern Rites in various Orthodox churches. This podcast is recorded as a video for fuller experiences, you can join us on the SQPN YouTube channel, where you can see all the images of the art we'll be discussing in the show. Please follow The Secrets of Sacred Art and all the other SQPN shows in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia, or on X, formerly known as Twitter, at SQPN, or on Instagram at StarQuest Network. All right, Alex, last time we left off talking about the beautiful Ghent altarpiece, and I wanted to show this image again so that we can really get ourselves focused on, well, I guess the central focus of our Catholic faith, and that's the Eucharist. Yes, the the summit, of the our, source and summit, the source yes, source and summit of our of our faith, absolutely. Yeah, so um, just kind of to let everybody know why we're talking about this, the Ghent altarpiece did make me think of something that had um, occurred to me a couple of years ago when I was at mass, and there's all kinds of sights and sounds that happens at mass, and every now and then, one will really stick with me. And then I have to know more about it. So, Alex, have you ever had that happen when you're at Mass? Or am I the only one who gets that easily distracted? <laughs> no. Do you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it distraction. So that should give you an indication of, yeah, this happens to me a lot as well. <laughs> um, because I think it's just, it's another aspect of worship and and really incorporating all our entire being into the experience. And there, there's a reason the art is there, whether it's music um, or something in the architecture or, or something visual. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do look at things and, and I, I find it incredible that, you know, I'll find something and then find a, a connection in, to what's happening up at the altar to something that I'm seeing in the church itself. You yeah. Know? So I would say in, in our defense, Catherine, that's not a bad thing. I think that's one of the reasons it's there. I mean, exactly. we're human beings. We've, <laughs> we have all these senses and, and things like that. And because really if, if a well-appointed church, everything is really going to be pointed towards God. So, you know, you can be focused on what's going on in the altar at the, up at the altar, or you can, you know, if your mind or if your eyes wander or you're listening to the music and with more emphasis, it's all pointed towards God. So I think it's okay. 
Exactly. Yeah. That's why you took my words right out of my thoughts. There you so. go. <laughs> great minds, Catherine. Great yeah, minds think great alike. minds, great minds. Yeah. Okay, so recently, my great mind, yeah, right. No, <laughs> it was actually a word this time that got me or a little phrase. So at Mass, um, during the uh, preparation of the altar and the offerings, um, and this is in the ordinary form of the Mass. I don't know if there's an equivalent. It's slightly different, I think, in the extraordinary form of the old Latin rite. This is something when, that, yeah, the, I, the if I remember correctly, it's um, the priest says all of this. It's not something that the, it's it's yeah. not an exact translation, I guess. Yeah, it's a little, yeah. yeah, a little different. I was reading through, I had my missiles side by side going, okay, where does this happen? Yeah. But for me, when I go to daily mass, our priest will always say this out loud so that we can all respond to it because there's a respond. And so, you know, he says uh, mass facing the tabernacle and everything. So it really kind of brings you all focused to the Eucharist. So as he says, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness, we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It has become for us the bread of life. I got fixated on work of human hands. It's like, whose hands? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, wait, who made that? Somebody made that. So I, I kind of got fixated on that. And then it also brought back to mind um, something I had shared with my uh, catechism class. I used to teach seventh grade catechism. And when we would teach them the section of the mass, I would let them know that this is really from a much older prayer that predates the church. Mm. And it's a Jewish blessing before eating bread, or can be also said for a whole meal, like for the whole meal. And it's, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So you can see that, get that tie-in for us. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that work of human hands, that's what really got me. It stuck with me for the longest time, and I'm like, okay, wait a minute, what's going on here? And at the time when I had this thought, my husband was working as a sacristan. So I'm like, all right, you're there setting things up, you know, helping the priest, waiting for the count from the ushers for how many hosts or particles need to be in the ciborium and all that other stuff, or a count up how many are left in the tabernacle. Sometimes you need to know all that. So I'm like, so where does it come from? Who made this? And he's like, oh, it came from a supply store. <laughs> you know, like, it's, we, they order it I'm like okay that's like telling me grapes you know come from the grocery store <laughs> yeah exactly I wanted to know more somebody yeah, made this yeah. who's the somebody Yeah. and so finally found out that the somebody in our church's case was Kavanaugh bread oh okay yeah they've been around for quite a while it was in 1943 that some local priests made a request of um, the father who started this company, uh, the dad. He's got some sons that took over and kept it going. But I guess he was a bit of an inventor. And so he was coming up with a mechanism to make this go, the production go faster. The nuns that were making the bread had some older machines, and we'll see those in a moment. Yeah. And so they, these, this family started making bread and now they're um 
I think the world's largest provider or one of the largest providers. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And are the, is this in Michigan? No, they're actually in Rhode Island. So they're oh. in Greenville, Rhode Island. Yeah. Oh, that harkens back to my, my past. Hey, yeah. You were over in that area. I you? was. Yeah. That's where <laughs> I became Catholic. There you go. That's I'm right. sure I probably consumed some of these. Probably have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, it's neat to see. Um, okay. Got a little source, but then I am continually curious and always want to know more. Yeah. Okay, because this was 1943. Catholic Church has been around a whole lot longer than 1943. And they had mentioned the nuns. So it's like, all right, so there's got to be more. But I just wanted to know a little more detail. I like to know what does the church teach about it? And so that's when I jumped into uh, the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Yeah, yeah. Chapter uh, chapter 6 on... Yeah. The requisites for the celebration of the mass, and shall I read a little bit of this? So, yeah, if you could please, um, please it's a nice little if, section. If everyone about... would please humor me um, as <laughs> I go through this, not as quickly as possible, but as clearly as possible, I guess. Thank you. Following the example of Christ, the church has always used bread and wine with water to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The bread for celebrating the Eucharist must be made only from wheat; must recently be baked. And according to the ancient tradition of the Latin church, must be unleavened. The meaning of the sign demands that the material for the Eucharistic celebration truly have the appearance of food. It is therefore expedient that the Eucharistic bread, even though unleavened and baked in the traditional shape, be made in such a way that the priest at Mass with a congregation is able in practice to break it into parts for distribution to at least some of the faithful. Small hosts, however, are in no way ruled out when the number of those receiving Holy Communion or other pastoral needs require it. The action of the fraction or breaking of the bread, which gave its name to the Eucharist, is in apostolic times, will bring out more clearly the force and importance of the sign of unity of all in the one bread and of the sign of charity by the fact that the one bread is distributed among the brothers and sisters. So, yeah, so there we go. The one bread. You know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking about, um, you know, we now just, we, we have like the little hosts because as Mm -hmm. you know, you're going up and sometimes, um, if there are a lot of people, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but for, you know, something happens and there, there aren't enough of the individual um, consecrated hosts to distribute among the faithful. The priest will have to break the larger host. And um, I don't know that always, I, it, it really, to me, harkens back to, what it must have been like hundreds of years ago or even thousands, you know, the first, um, the first last supper, <laughs> yeah. um, where it really was shared amongst them. And, and, you know, it doesn't happen too often, but when it does, the few times that I've experienced that it's, it's quite special, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. It always makes me think about the feeding of the 5,000. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, there's always enough. You know? Yes. There's so. always enough. And it's neat. I, the one image I didn't get, and I'll put a link in our show notes for, was the rediscovery of the um, mosaic that's in the church where the feeding of the 5,000 happened. With. So it's a beautiful mosaic of a basket of the loaves yeah. and then the fish on either side. That's so neat. Yeah, and it was lost for years. It was only rediscovered in like 1880s, I think it where, was. Um, where is this? So is it's it on the, the northwest, Land? yeah, northwest okay. banks of the um, Sea of Galilee in the Holy wow. Land. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, so it does go pretty, back. <laughs> it goes back. It goes way it's back. Not a they, new idea. <laughs> no, not a new idea. What was really neat, though, was to see the loaves were basically white circles with little crosses on yeah. them. Yeah. And so yeah. that really makes me think, hey, our host today follow a pattern that's thousand years old plus. Do you know, so. there was um, in um, Pompeii, there was discovered a, a, a loaf of bread. And I just, I watched a little video on making the, I guess they analyzed it and like, what's it made out of and everything. And um, I watched a video on how you too can make this loaf of bread, which of course it was the daily bread. Uh-huh. You know, that's okay. what you were paid in. It was okay. this bread and it was like they would bake it and um, it was this round ho- round loaf of bread and it was divided. And um, that's what you would, that's how you would be paid. And you had the little rope around it and so you could carry it home, like sling it over your back and carry oh it home. Oh my goodness, so, I'm going to be total Star Wars geek on this one. Okay. Wasn't Ray? Wasn't Ray paid with bread? Well, she was paid with something. <laughs> something that you put, put a little yeah. juice water on it exactly. and turn into some sort of bread. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But so this whole idea of going back to ancient times, I mean, this was a way to literally sustain yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was something you were working for you're, and you'd get one every day. Wow. Yeah. See, it's amazing how there's always something. <clears throat> To find, we're always looking for something. And I feel like when we start looking for deeper meanings and truths, God is going to give us the grace, you know, one of the yeah. gifts of the Holy Spirit, knowledge. Love exactly. that gift. Exactly. Yeah. Because it just keeps us looking and wanting to know more. And for me, as I was wondering to know more and more and more, um, I like going through kind of daily Catholic blogs. And that's my, that's my news in the morning. And sure enough, I come across the Liturgical oh, Arts yeah. Journal, and they had an article on the making of altar bread. Yeah. And they had these two um, bread machines, or altar bread making machines that were in there. Um, the one in the lower left is an electric model, and then the square one to the right it's actually um, looks like it's gas heat. There's a little that gas yeah, pipe you can coming see out the, the bottom. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing is the the way that these would press together, so yeah. to get those the thin. Host it's like a gridiron, or mm-hmm. a um. Oh gosh, like a waffle maker. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> or a the, tortilla uh, press, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, or even yeah. the um the crepes that you get, you know, at the Christmas. Oh, yeah. Christmas um, villages and things like that, you know, that you really, and you know what, you have to know what you're doing as well. 
if you're oh, going to yeah. use something like this. I think, I guess, you know, oh, yeah. I think you'll go into this, but yeah, th things could go very badly wrong if you don't know yeah. what you're doing. And this is not what you want to mess up on. Oh yeah. The timing's got to be perfect and you better know where to put your hands at the right time. Yeah. And how so much, it, how much of the mixture to put in? Because I would imagine if you right? put it too much in, it wouldn't be able to be consumed. Yeah. That would just be overflow. That's got to be trimmed off. And then, yeah. you know, that's my next quest. What do they do with all the trimmings? Yeah. <laughs> what do they do? Did you find out? I have, you know, I just thought of that question now. <laughs> oh, okay. So, okay. Hey, that could be something our viewers could find out for us. Yeah. Put it, uh, add a little message to our discord community. We love having good conversations there. Yeah, no, that's a great idea because I, I was, I was actually wondering. I don't think they're super wasteful, um, by right. any means. But um, and they've they've been doing this for you know, one or two years. Yeah. So I'm sure they've come up with something very um, efficient and effective in in terms of dealing with the the excess yeah, scraps. So in, <clears throat> in questing along, I came across. Um, a article from the Diocese of Fort Wayne, uh, South Bend, Indiana. And they had the uh, collection of these different uh, communion bakers. I, don't, I never know what to call them. I've heard people call it an oven, but it's more like an iron. And That's what I would call it, like a pancake. Yeah, like a waffle iron or a pancake. Yeah. yeah, waffle iron. But this is a, this is a wafer iron. <laughs> and what was really neat is they found one that predated the electric model. And that's the one in the lower right corner. Um, it has very long handles on it so that yeah. the bread can be baked in a uh, a wood fire oven. Wow, I wonder how I, old that is. Uh, it's beautiful, though. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine the the skills needed to time that just right. To have the oven the just the right temperature. Yeah. But yeah. do you know what people, people had the skills that, um, that have been lost that people have had for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, and mm -hmm. they've just been lost so quickly, but, you know, but take heart, human beings are very resourceful. If, if need be, I'm sure there would be people who'd be able to figure that one out fairly quickly again. You yeah. Know. And you can see on these irons how few hosts could be made at a time so you had yeah. the larger ones for the celebrant and then the smaller ones for distributing so you know roughly 10 hosts could be produced and yeah. then with the larger electric ones that helped get it going and then they had little cutters like biscuit cutters to cut yeah. them out which again they have to make sure that the bread is just the right temperature yeah yeah because you don't want it to be too brittle that everything just crumbles and breaks mm. and then you don't want it to be too soft that it just all bunches together one of the things i will say that i found out is um at the cathedral and well the cathedral here and the church that i attend they all get the um hosts from the same company which i think i i sent you the link that our priest that that our canon oh, yep. had, had sent to me um, they make sure the ed edges of the hosts are sealed mm -hmm. to prevent any crumbling. 
once it's con- yeah. consecrated, which I thought was very comforting, actually. But yeah, yeah you know, there's, they, they, there's uh, different ways that the hosts get cut out. Yeah. And so sometimes they're cut from a big sheet with um, a hydraulic press or a foot press. And actually, I'll show a nice little video for that in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And then other times it's it's pressed in the way that it's molded. And so that actually closes the edges so they don't get the crumbling. Yeah, yeah. What was neat to see is that um, these big electric presses are still being made. Well, that's, so, yeah. Yeah, wow. so it's it's obviously been functioning very well since the 1880s. That why ruin a good thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Uh huh. So I thought this was really neat, and it was neat to see now how efficiently they lay out the pattern um, into the iron or aluminum, depending on what it's made out of. Yeah, yeah. And then just beautifully done, having the the crucifixion scene and the IHS on there, even the the three little nails down at the bottom. Yeah. So is this? So I guess the the crucif the crucifix would be on one side mm-hmm. of, and then the other side would have the IHS. Or are they both? Do Do you see what I'm saying? So are there two different reliefs on either side of the? So usually um, the back side, like the top side. If you look at the um, image of the full iron, mm-hmm. you'll see that the the patterns on the top side. And okay. on the bottom iron, lined up with the larger host, will actually be fraction lines. So that, yeah, okay. So that it helps the priest in the breaking. Okay. To get a nice clean break. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I want everyone to see this wonderful video from the nuns of Immaculate Heart of Mary, or yeah, and they're out in Westfield, Vermont. The nuns have a thriving business here, making altar breads used by Catholics in their sacred celebrations of the Eucharist. These unleavened wafers start as batter made simply from flour and water, cooked on panels resembling oversized waffle irons. Sister Marie-Ange Martel later drills through stacks of breads to cut out small discs. It's sirens, usually. They're only the machine now speaking and hoping for customers. <laughs> Always hoping for customers. A bit. Those hopes are being realized. Through its website and word of mouth, the monastery shipped more than 3.7 million individual hosts last year alone in several varieties to a few hundred parishes, mostly throughout the Diocese of Vermont and Archdiocese of Boston, but to 24 states now, and even Canada. Do you consider that an honor? Yeah, that they they want to support a little place like us in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty cool. No, that was, you know, it's interesting. I think it's so neat to see it being made. And I'll be honest with you. Part of me, when I hear the words like, efficiency and um, mass produce and all this stuff, I kind of cringe when it, when we're talking about anything sacred and especially Mm -hmm. something that is going to be used in such an important way. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, but, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's something that I understand it has to be done. And mm-hmm. I, I actually do really love the idea that we have these sisters um, making the hosts. And, and they should be absolutely supported. I think it's wonderful that, that they're doing that. And I'm so grateful. And it's that, it's that tension between, um, understanding there, thanks be to God, there's a great need for lots and lots of hosts to be made. And then the other side of me is going, uh, but it's like, how do I think about, how do I feel about this? You know, like mass produced something. It's, I don't know little bit of tension in the back of my mind. It's interesting because in the scope of how the altar bread is made, that is probably the least production level that we, you know, that's out there now. Because it's still very hands-on. The nuns are are right there working. Um, Yeah. They do pray while they're working, which is beautiful. See, that's the thing. That's what's so incredible. Yeah. 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 I know, you know, Kavanaugh Bread has done a fabulous job providing all around. And they make it a point of saying on their website that it's untouched by human hands. Because that way it's clean. It's like, okay. Yeah. That's, That's beautiful. But at the same time. I don't know. Maybe I just like little old nuns because they're adorable. <laughs> but, <laughs> but having a house that was made by a little old nun just seems, you know, like homemade cooking. I yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and that's I guess that's where I'm I'm getting to. You know, it's it's really there is something to be said for that hands-on, handmade um, product because. There is a little bit of the person going into it, you know, mm-hmm. especially the prayers. How beautiful to know that that they're praying over over everything that they make. And and this is something that, you know, now I'm going to sound like a little bit of a curmudgeon and I don't mean to. But, <laughs> you know, the whole push for efficiency within making something for the church. I just think, is that how we want to look at that's that's not how we should be looking at the church. This is something, uh, because I think it, it, it actually goes along with like this whole consumerist attitude towards everything. And, you know, that's the last thing. That's the last way we want to be thinking about these hosts in that way. Yeah. In the church, we don't want to be thinking we want it quick. We want it cheap. We want it now. Exactly. Exactly. We want to give our best. What is our yeah. best? What could we give that would be the absolute best? Yeah, you know, it might yeah. be a, if it takes 12 years to uh, make one of the most beautiful paintings ever created right. and all for the glory of God, then so be it. You know, what's yep, 12 yep. years in, in the grand scheme of eternity, right? Yeah. Yep. But um, yeah, yeah it's, for, it's real. No, go ahead. No, it's just like for many of these um, convents, this is what supports all their needs. Is selling yeah. the altar bread. So I made it a point to list a bunch of them. There's so many more out there that are selling their altar breads as a way of supporting their community. And, you know, so take a look. Maybe you never know. Maybe your parish is already using the altar breads yeah. you know, from from a convent somewhere. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it is something that, you know, this is, this is the way, um, you know, monasteries and convents, they've traditionally supported themselves by producing really wonderful things, whether it's wine and beer, cheese, um, hosts for the um, mass fabrics, all kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's a, a lovely way to support, um, I mean, I don't want to say small business, but do you know, it, they are, yeah. they're small businesses and, um, and they need our support. And of course they're giving us their all, you know, they're praying for us. So yes. I think it's worth in whatever you're uh, looking to purchase, if you want something special to maybe take a look at some of these convents and monasteries first. And mm-hmm. then if you can't find what you're looking for from then, then move on to maybe another small business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> well, before we go on, um, we would like to thank, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of sacred art, including Anthony C., Michael F., John M., Maureen, and Adam S., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of sacred art and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So now um, let's go back to um, the subject of the day, the hosts. Yeah. So. So we've been on a little quest here, and I'm kind of working, I guess, deeper into history on this. Started with what's going on now, and then who's making it now. We found some older irons to make the host on, but that was like the 1880s. It goes, it's got to go back more, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) So yeah, so I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the Catholic Encyclopedia, type in altar bread. And so this is what the Catholic Encyclopedia had to give a little bit of information and it said that um, as far as the the irons or the molds go their existence is established as early as the ninth century although no specimen earlier than the 12th century is known to exist in recent times the discovery some time ago however of one of these molds at Carthage carries us back probably to the 6th or 7th century and on this mold around the monogram of Christ is the inscription, I hope I say this right, Hic es flos campi et flos campi et ilium. Yeah, and then that is from the opening of the second chapter of the Song of Solomon. This is the flower of the field and the lily. That's so beautiful. Oh my goodness. When I saw that, I was like, oh, you love us so much. <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So it's it's neat to know that there are irons found to making hosts as far back as the sixth or seventh century. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It, it's 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 incredible that uh, this is what one of the things that, that is so I maybe as a convert, I don't know, you're you're a cradle Catholic. Mm-hmm. Maybe you feel the same way, but I think one of the things that I find wonderful about learning more and more about the faith is the consistency. Yes. Going all the way back to the beginning or nearly the beginning. And you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, and we're still doing that. 
good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's it's so nice to know. And, and then just the fact that such an ancient art form has been able to last in its a relatively the same style. Yeah. And still be useful. Yeah. Well, you know, do you it's, know what? it's still pressed irons. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. And it just makes, makes me think about bread in general, maybe because I love bread so much. Yes, <laughs> please. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's like, gotta have bread. Thank oh, you, yeah. God, for bread. I just, yeah, yeah it's, it's my <laughs> downfall on so many different levels. But we really love sourdough. Oh, yeah. And so my husband and I will go up um, on Saturday to this other village and we get the sourdoughs and the focaccia and everything that, and then some of the traditional English breads that he makes. And you know what? It's the same thing. It's, it kind of, I mean, what's more human than really enjoying a lovely slice of toast with butter on it. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's so good. But, um, also, getting back to these irons, some of the details on them was neat to hear and learn about. And that um, some of them were actually dated and then had the initials of the engraver on them. Oh, that's interesting. So wow. that's it's neat to think that, you know, there, there could have been a guild of iron workers that made these. You know, there had to you be. You know, there had to have been, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, a lot Sorry, of the, especially, I'm just thinking, yeah. especially for the, if there was a region or if there was a chapel house for a guild, they would absolutely yeah. have had this. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's, what a job that would be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind it'd be neat. I mean, I like metal work too. And so I just find like, oh, that'd be so neat. What an awesome job that someone had to form the iron out and then someone else has to carve into it. And yeah, you know, it's really, yeah. Fascinating. yeah that's one guild. And then they sell those to all the other guilds that have the chapel houses and, and mm-hmm. the, the little chapels. Yeah. 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 Great business. Yeah. So <laughs> some of the designs they found, um, oh, and they'd also have the, do- the donors coat of arms sometimes on the, on the irons. Wow. So there's our donors supporting yeah, everything exactly. in the church. Get the yes. beauty. Yes. So yeah. The, yeah. On a 15th century iron, um, they found a figure of the triumphal lamb. So there we go. Just like our Ghent altarpiece. Yeah. Yeah. Or they had the holy face surrounded with fleur-de-lis, um, crucifixion, resurrection scenes. Um, some hosts were actually made with Christ seated on his throne imparting his blessing. And I was like, that's fascinating. As I mean, as a priest, to have a host that beautiful yeah. at that moment of elevation in your hands to to focus you, focus the whole community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at that you know, high point of the mass. I like the idea of him sitting in in majesty. You know, yeah. and I really like that idea because, of course, when they elevate the host and, and you and you look up to see that, that would be really, really a, a connection of almost full circle. Yeah. Everything that's going on. Well, there's that saying that, you know, the veil between heaven and earth is is so thin at that moment. Yeah. Like you're like yeah. right there. It's probably the thickness of the host. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's almost like peering into heaven. Yeah. No, I like yeah. that. I like that thought, Catherine. I really oh, like thank that. Oh, you. Yeah. 
I, I wasn't me, so I'll just give it to the God to give him the glory. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, that was excellent. It was most yeah. excellent. Yeah. And it was neat to find out as they talking about the elevation of these beautiful hosts, that it was in the 13th century <clears throat> that the elevation of the host was added to the mass. And Interesting. Yeah. So it's it, like right around the time of, you know, time, um, the word uh, consubstantiation was really codified this is this is what's happening and uh it made me you know curious because i'm like well there's got to be some art images that kind of reflect this and sure enough found a beautiful image yeah i've seen this before this looks like it's from it might be from a book of hours or something yeah it's from a book of hours um and this is um, a 15th century manuscript. And what was really fascinating was zooming in on the picture. And on my mm. computer, I took it all the way into the host. And the image on the host looks almost exactly like what was etched into the irons that we've looked at. So that image has been yeah. around and used at mass since the 15th century or older. I would say it has to be older. Like, yeah. Why would they, they wouldn't have like, oh, now that we're going to elevate it, let's, let's change yeah. what's on it. You know, they would just elevate it, it, what they were looking at. That's really incredible. Do you know, I mean, you might go into this, but do you know when in the Latin rite or the Roman rite that they started using unleavened bread or has it always been like that do you know it's gone back and forth it's from what i could see in the um catholic encyclopedia it wasn't clear except for the only thing i did notice that started happening was as they were working through you know what kind of bread are we using how is this going to be prepared who's going to prepare it um Mm -hmm. especially within the latin rite was that there were a lot of times where the people who were asked to make the bread were messing around with the recipe. As you do, yeah. Yes, and in some very unholy ways. Oh, don't be messing with the recipe, so. Yeah, it's um, a fairly straightforward recipe. <laughs> please, wheat, water, mix yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but yes they actually had some people were you know i think they said the one thing they could say in the encyclopedia without being too crazy was the blood of an infant sometimes what? people would add yeah so oh that shenanigans got put down as quick yeah. as it possibly could i wonder what that was all about yeah I that's don't crazy know. oh my gosh yeah. so or just, I mean, you know how, well, the enemies of the early church, one of the things they accused people of was um, cannibalism. That's right. Because they had a bad understanding of what was going on in the Eucharist, you know, during Mm -hmm. the Mass. But yeah, like, don't make the enemies right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, they kind of, they reined things in. So then it was just um, clergy or understand monasteries yes. and stuff making yeah. making the bread and at one point in time they actually had wheat fields that were yeah. designated only for making the bread which i thought oh that's so cool yeah <laughs> and do you know what and then sometimes and i'm sure it was probably all over europe but 
in this country, there would be a certain um, parcel of the land for growing that would be reserved for thieves and animals. So it was to keep people from sin. So if you had to go Uh. and take it, you weren't stealing because it was for you anyway. Uh. And actually here, interestingly enough, there's some uh, farmers that grow commercial bird seed, you know, for your bird. This is another thing like, where does all this bird seed come from? Well, people actually grow it. And in certain parts, they'll leave it. They, they'll cut only a certain amount and then they'll leave the rest for the wintertime for the wild birds because yeah. the snow falls on the, the, um, the crop and it creates like a little, like a little hovel for the little birds to go in to hide oh. from predators or to stay a little bit warm and then they just eat when they're under there. <laughs> so this is something that probably, I'm sure it goes back to what the monasteries and convents were doing. Mm-hmm. you know, and growing the wheat. So that's another way that it's like some of the traditions are, are I think, have been brought forward to today. Yeah. So we have another image here from a manuscript. Actually, not from a manuscript. This is actually a souvenir that people could oh, yeah. pick up and take home and then add it to their book of the hours at home. And uh, this is actually a illumination of the um, miraculous host that was in uh, Dijon. And this ties into our Ghent altarpiece. Because this was actually gifted to Philip of Burgundy. Oh, yes. And he built a big big chapel to house it in. And then you have pilgrims coming to see it. And the pilgrims would take home these little souvenir illuminations. Wow. And, you know, and look at this. I mean, obviously, this is an, a, a drawing, a reproduction of mm-hmm. of the miraculous um, Eucharist. But even how, just the way they, you know that this this artist could have drawn a perfectly round circle. But he didn't. He made it kind of look like blood, like seeping through. And that you know, was the miracle of this host. It was a yeah. bleeding host. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but you can see, the, but the way he's done it, the way he's drawn the the blood, it looks like blood because it's heavier and thicker mm-hmm. and darker in some areas, and then it's light, just literally as if it it really does look like blood. It doesn't look like paint or some kind of border. It looks like yeah. blood. And what was fascinating was seeing other um, illuminations of the same host all had the design of the host itself, the same, very carefully Mm. laying out how it was where you have um, Christ seated in majesty, but around him are, um, you have the scourging pillar and other of the instruments of his passion. The nails, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the three nails. Yeah. I believe that would probably be the lance. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So I thought that was fascinating. Well, yeah, because they're looking at, they're all looking at the same thing or they're, the the source is going back to the the original source is there. Yeah. Well, sadly, this no longer exists. And it was uh, burnt during some upheaval in France. I forget when. Upheaval in France? 
I know it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it, it, it was sadly destroyed, and I believe that the church that it once housed it does a reparation mass continually ever since then. Wow. Yeah. So it's a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. All right, so now moving forward in time, we can see this is um, Juan Duane's, um his image of Christ our Savior with the Eucharist. And this was uh, a few years after what the image that we just saw. But again, look at this beautiful host that he put in the painting. And this is a host that has a crucifixion scene on it with um, Mary and John on either side of the cross of Christ. Yeah. It's really neat because, of course, when you think when he says, this is my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Alex, you shared a beautiful picture with me. Yeah. Have you seen this before? I think I had seen it before, but this is the first time I really, like, took a close look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's by um, Ingre is his last name. And he again, yes. he's an artist. He was an academic painter in the 19th century. And, I mean, I, a lot of his work is everywhere. I think if you look, you'll you'll be amazed at how familiar or how aware you are of his stuff. Um, yeah. because he really, he did some beautiful, um, work and if and you that, like academic paintings, yeah, he's, yeah. he's one to look at. Um, but yeah. And of course you can see the IHS mm-hmm. in this one. And I love how it's stained. It's suspended. Yeah. Um, that's what I love about it. And I, I think, do you know, I just sent you this image and I shamefully didn't do any research on what it was supposed to be depicting. I, clearly that's the blessed mother. And we yep. know that because of her colors, um, mm-hmm. not just her halo, but the colors she's wearing. And, um, and, and she definitely has a mother looking at her son sort of face. She does. And there are two other saints bus behind her. I want to say, I'm going to take a guess and say the, the woman on the left is St. Helena. She's holding the true cross. Yeah. That would make sense. Yep. Yeah. Ah, and then St. Philip of France, no doubt. On the ah, gentleman okay. behind. Yeah. Nice. Hey, good investigative look there. <laughs> well, do you know what? When you start to, and I hope that our listeners and viewers, if they start, when they start looking at art and, and as we share with them the different symbols and, and meanings and colors and maybe gestures and postures that they'll be able to figure out who and what they're looking at. But in the same way that um, people hundreds of years ago would have been able to figure out who and what mm-hmm. they were looking at. It's all through that symbolism and, and this other language, this hidden language of sacred art. Yeah. So my question looking at, you know, how the bread was made also got me thinking about a friend I had made when I went to uh, the Scala conference. And he's in uh, a Byzantine Rite Orthodox church. And we had great conversations talking about differences, similarities. So I called him up and I was like, I've got some questions about the holy bread for, you know, that you use at your church. And he's like, oh yeah, sure. I'll tell you about it. And the one thing that was a funny little question that stuck with me because they have um, leavened bread and it's 
not like a bunch of them made for everybody. It's one loaf. It's like, how do you know there's going to be enough for everybody there? Yeah. Yeah. And he's These like, are practical oh, questions. Right. You know, practical questions. He's like, oh, it's how it's served. Because it's served little fractions of it in a spoon with the consecrated wine. Okay. So he says there's always enough for everyone. There's always going to be enough. Wow. No. Individual spoons or everybody uses the same spoon? Individual spoons now. I mean, post-COVID changed some things, yes. Yeah. But they don't exactly like, you know, it's not like you're eating off a spoon. It's more like (laughs) pour it into your mouth. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know. And what's really helpful is at Pontifex University, one of our professors who teaches Old and New Testament is um, a Melachite priest. And so, you know, got a little... Eastern Catholic right there. So a lot of similarities with the different Orthodox churches. And, you know, so you kind of get a little mixed flavor. I loved learning Old Testament from him. Alex, you're in his class now. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. And I also he's have to amazing. say, he looks like the Mandalorian. He looks like Tinchard. <laughs> <laughs> I did put a link uh, in our show notes so that people can see him at Mass. And, um, yeah, don't yeah, think Alex, Mandalorian. Sorry. Don't no, I'm sorry, way. but that that is very fitting because if anybody knows how to use a thurible and make it look like the coolest thing in the world, it's Father Sebastian. Okay. So you guys will have to see this link. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's part of the Melkite Catholic Church in America. And the Melkite Catholic Church uh, is Eastern Catholic Church. It's in communion with Rome, uh, part of the Byzantine Rite. And it's also um, one of the oldest continuing Christian communities in the world. Yeah. They can trace their lineage back to um, ancient Syrian rites of Antioch and Damascus. And that is... Incredible. And and also the thing about, I guess, the Malachites and also the um, Chaldean churches is the incredible suffering that they have endured over the millennia. Mm -hmm. And they're still here, thanks be to God. And they do have, it's just amazing. Again, going back and they're doing things that were done from the beginning, really, Mm -hmm. from the beginning. So um, and their liturgies are beautiful. Yeah, I've never audibly been. beautiful, beautiful and visually beautiful. So, please, I hope everyone goes and sees that little snippet of Father Sebastian. Yeah. Absolutely it's gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Just gorgeous. Um. Okay. So, did you want? Did you want me to to kind of read a little bit here of the? Yeah. The word. <laughs> See, Catherine gets me to read the words that we're not really sure what they're, how to pronounce them. You have better language skills, my dear. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'll give it a go. Of course, please, any Malachites listening, please forgive me. Yes. So the Malachite Catholic Church um, calls holy bread um, korban, and the korban used for Holy Eucharist is leavened. Leavened korban is used by the Holy Eucharist because it symbolizes the living, risen Christ given to us in the mystical supper. 
Now, traditionally, five loaves are made to represent the two fish and five loaves that our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ blessed to feed the crowd. And um, and this is from the encyclopedia of uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia. Some prescriptions of the Oriental churches are worthy of notice. Moreover, some of them are still in use. The constitutions ascribed to St. Cyril of Alexandria prescribed that the Eucharistic bread be baked in the church oven. Among the Copts, Syrians, Jacobites, Malachites, Nestorians, and Armenians, the altar breads must be baked on the very day of their consecration. In Ethiopia, each church must have a special oven for the making of the hosts. In Greece and Russia, the altar breads are prepared by priests, widows, the wives or daughters of priests, or nuns, whereas in Abyssinia, women are excluded from preparing the bread. The Nestorians of Malabar, after kneading the flour with leaven, are accustomed to work in some of the leaven left from the preceding baking. They believe that this practice dates from the earliest times and that it preserves the leaven brought to Syria by Saints Thomas and Thaddeus. For according to the other Nestorian tradition, the apostles, prior to their separation, celebrated in the liturgy in common and each carried away a portion of bread, then consecrated. And that's interesting because I was reading a little bit about the Orthodox Church and they have something called blessed bread that is prepared by the women of the parish. And that is not consecrated bread, but that is bread that you can take home to your family and, and eat that evening or, you know, the following day. And you, and so if we were to go to an Orthodox church, we wouldn't be able to receive their communion, um, except under extraordinary circumstances, mm-hmm. but we could, we would be able to bring some of that blessed bread home, which I think is mm-hmm. really neat. Yeah. And, and a friend of mine, he was telling me about another bread like that. Uh, I believe I pronounce, hope I pronounced this right, Kaliva, which is actually a memorial bread. Um, oh. It's almost like a cake-like bread. They would actually decorate it. Um, they'd put like almonds and things and cross designs. Yeah. And that's brought in. Um, he said that he makes one for um, his mother as a remembrance of her passing. And same thing, those breads are brought in. They're not consecrated, but they are blessed and then shared. Yeah. So it's a neat remembrance bread. Isn't there, there must, I think there's a a Polish tradition as well. Something similar like that. When they bring in bread, maybe for Easter? Oh, for Easter, we bring in all our food to be blessed. Oh, okay. To be shared, yes. But we do have another bread that we're getting ready to use. This is, we're recording this before Christmas. Yeah. And on uh, Vigilia, we'll be breaking opłatki, which basically look like large rectangular communion wafers with nativity scenes on them. Yeah. I've had them before. And yes, we've, Mm -hmm. why don't you tell everyone about it if they're not familiar with it? Because... We've had so it in a, our homes as well. Yeah, it's a beautiful tradition. Um, everyone gathers around and is given either a whole one or a portion, depending on how many people are gathered around. Um, we probably had 40, 50 people at one time at Boucher and Jaja's house in downtown mm. Detroit. <laughs> but um, what you do is then you walk around with your, your piece and uh, you wish the person a Merry Christmas and happy blessings in the new year and break off a little piece 
of from each other's uh, wafer to share. Okay. And they say in Polish tradition that there's no way that anyone would be able to hold a grudge or a grievance with someone after sharing Opłatki. That it's a way of closing out the year with everything reconciled. Nice. Yeah. Reconciliation of debts and everything. That's interesting. It's not, now, what we had was a little bit different and it was on the box. So it's not like I made this up. <laughs> like I wanted it to be. And so then it was. It was. Mm-hmm. So we got some of that. The wafer. The mm-hmm. potki. Is that? Opotki. Opotki. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, the tradition was you would share it with everybody in the household. Like, for example, if you were on the farm, including the animals. So you would go into the barn and you would give the horses and the goats and the sheep. There's a separate one for the animals. Oh, no, this was. Oh, we had a pink one for the animals. (laughs) Oh, no, we all, um, we just had, we weren't that fancy. We just all had to eat the same (laughs) thing. And, but it was a way of thanking the animals. And so we, uh, and it's funny because our animals were more than happy to be thanked. Yeah, they they thought it was great. So my oldest daughter, you had a fish tank in her room. And so she was always happy to take the the pink opaki upstairs and break little crumbs in her fish tank. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See, this is how important, you know, when you think about all of this, when you think about the Eucharist, I think this all really has its roots in Mm -hmm. the Eucharistic feast is understanding that there's forgiveness and um, unity and, um, and connection with family with the rest of creation, I think it's great. And yes, and this, it's all from the source and summit, inspired by the source and summit of yeah, our faith. Yeah, because then it's, it becomes, you know, a little domestic church, you yeah. know, sharing a shadow of what happens at Mass. Exactly. And it makes sense. Again, this is the other thing that I love about about learning about these things. It makes sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, we go for a meal and we're, we're reconciled with Christ and we go out and then we, we take that with us and including um, the whole aspect of meals and sharing and, and yeah. uniting with everybody. Oh, yeah. So back to our Eastern brothers here. Yes. I want to put up on the screen. This is a gorgeous, beautiful breads that they make. And the breads have um, a holy seal that gets stamped on them. And this image is pretty consistent across um, the majority of the Eastern Rite churches. Sometimes it varies depending on um, the Holy Day, if there's a special celebration. But what we have here um, in the lower right corner, you'll see the actual wooden carved seal. And no, that's not me showing the mirror image. That's how it looks so that when it's stamped on the bread, it comes out the right way. Yeah, because I was, you know, when I was reading that in Greek, I was thinking it was backwards. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually seen where people say, you posted your picture backwards. It's like, no, they're showing you the actual hand carved wooden seal that has to be done backwards. So exactly. Yeah. And then what's above in this graph is it actually is showing you what each of these nine quadrants within the bread mean or what they're used for. Yeah. So, Alex, if you could, since it's kind of small on my screen. Oh, gosh. Okay. 
Can you see? Start at the middle. The middle. Um, So the small, and I'm going to have to use the English words for these this alphabet because I don't know Greek. Uh, oh, that's so the, okay. the small I E X E N I K A or Oh, let's go to the middle middle. Oh, sorry, the lamb. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go right to the heart okay, of it. Okay, scratch that. Okay, the <laughs> lamb. So the I E X E N I K A um for holy communion is for the clergy but not all of the lamb is required for the clergy particles from it may be from it may be holy communion to the people so so they actually divide it into what the priests are supposed to be eating and and what the people consume yeah is that correct oh wow yeah and i love how the heart of this bread is called the lamb the lamb yeah the supper of the lamb and yeah. So can I just, this is fascinating. Can I just go down to the bottom one? Yeah, so sure. Those particles, so the, the bottom square coming from the middle is those are particles for the dead, uh, but not if all of the squares required for the dead, but only be, can only be for Holy Communion for the people. Um, that's fascinating. That's mm-hmm. really fascinating. Yeah. So again, I recommend people, um, I'll have a link to the website that had this explanation on the Holy Seal. Uh, there's so much detailed information. Uh, the yeah, woman that put yeah, this together did a great job with she just did. tidbits of information. And do you know what, when I, I read this article, so I would also encourage people to take a look at it because I just, I really didn't do a very good job of trying to explain it to people visually. But um, what I came away with is I'm so glad I read this article before I attend um, a divine liturgy at the Orthodox church near me, because Mm -hmm. I will have a much greater appreciation for the blessed bread. Yes. You know, I won't take it back again. You know how we kind of get really anxious and, and a little, um, upset when people don't recognize who the who is who they're receiving it's the right. same thing you to read this and go this is just bread but this is some this is really special bread that that they provide mm-hmm. for for people in the orthodox church and here it is oh this is it baked up yeah so this is one version of it baked up i have seen the exact same stamp depending on which church it's in the bread might be flattened out more, almost frisbee-like. Yeah, with the stamp pressed way down into it, and then the lar- larger rim of bread around the outside, and uh, sometimes very small ones also. So again, depending on the church. Yeah, yeah. But it's and just beautiful to see sense. it all. It all is beautiful. Up. It and is there's beautiful. E- there's prayers for each one of these sections too, which I found absolutely gorgeous again those prayers are in there one i would highly recommend our viewers to go find is for the prayers that are said by the priest um over the theotokos uh particle which is the one that um has the big tall triangle on it it's opposite okay, yeah. it's the opposite arm from the the nine yeah uh, triangles yeah and uh yeah, the priest says, in honor and memory of our most highly blessed and glorious lady, the Theotokos, 
and ever-Virgin Mary, through whose prayers, O Lord, receive this sacrifice upon your altar in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? It is. It is. I love that. And, you know, it's almost like, it. you know, sometimes we we kind of um, approach reality, shall we say, from kind of the uh, horizontal plane of the material Mm -hmm. world. And then every once in a while we touch the vertical. Something like this, it's the actually the opposite direction. It's the vertical first and then coming to the horizontal. I mean, you really do get that yeah. that um that idea that it's the spiritual realm first and then mm-hmm. the natural world. Yeah. And then here's another picture here. Oh wow, these look so, so these I, are I a little say. different, all right? Yeah. So, um, I think some said the Russian Orthodox have this almost double stacked bread. And that's to show um, the two natures of Christ. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. Like, that's just amazing how everything is reminding you of the divine. Yep. And then uh, the little woodcut there is um, the saints... Uh, Alex, you're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation on this first guy. Sp- oh my, Spiridon, I think. Spiridon and Nicodemus. Spiridon and Nicodemus. Yeah, yeah. So the Kiev caves, and they are uh, bread makers. They made holy bread for thirty years. They dedicated their lives to baking the bread, and it was so cute. One story I read, I can't remember which of the two. Um, his cloak caught on fire, got mm. a little clo- too close to the oven, but it wasn't actually burning. So he was able to take it off and it was not destroyed or burnt by the fire. There you go. See, you know, mm-hmm. look out for God and <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Look out yeah. yeah. And then one last little finish up here. I thought we'd let St. Francis of Assisi. Give us the last word. Alex, will you read that for us? Happily. What wonderful majesty. What stupendous condescension. Oh, sublime humility, that the Lord of the whole universe, God and the Son of God, should humble himself like this under the form of a little bread for our salvation. Amen. That's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, thank you very much. You know, this is something when we think about art, Mm -hmm. we don't really think about the art of, well, we do think about the art of bread making, but not necessarily the art of um, host making. So Mm -hmm. thank you for, for being so curious about it because I, um, there's certain things, obviously, you know, people, people hone in on certain things. And this is something, again, it's, you never think about somebody's got to make this like a human, this is Mm -hmm. to start with a human being somewhere. And as we were going through this, I was reminded years ago, this is when we were living in Rhode Island, there was a, um, uh, I can't remember what, which religious sisters came and they just did a little talk at, uh, the church for the kids and they brought one of the host making irons and the children got to make the hosts that were then taken and um, distributed at mass 
after being consecrated. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. They felt so special. My girls felt so special about that. And I was only half teasing Alex when I first saw that you could still buy these irons going, hey, this could be our retirement gig. I know. I'm sorry. I would love to be a little old lady sitting around just, you know, pressing out and cutting hosts for our Lord. (laughs) That would be. Yeah. Yeah. I think although the shipping and handling might be a little expensive between the two of us. (laughs) Let's just ride a donkey to the nearest parish. I don't know. There you go. Hey, you never know. You never know. But yeah, it's. Yeah, what a fascinating, fascinating subject. And I hope that um, we'd love to hear people's thoughts if they've had any experiences of maybe making hosts or knowing maybe a family or a convent nearby who makes them. And uh, maybe some of them have had experiences that um, my girls have had with making mm-hmm. The host. So, um, so thank oh, you so very much. This came yeah. full circle for you that way. Yeah, it's it awesome. did. It was. Re- I hadn't. Th- gosh, I had thought about that for years, but I do oh. remember that now. And I, and I again, I was, you know, interested in it, but I had I had little ones, and so I wasn't. I couldn't pay as much attention as mm-hmm. I wanted to. Let me just put yep, it that way. Yep. <laughs> awesome. So it was well, nice to, be able to spur, get the details, spur memories in others, or get you curious, and yeah. Um, yeah, I want to thank you, um, everyone, for listening and watching. I hope you're watching us. Um, the Secrets of Sacred Art on StarQuest. Um, to find previous episodes of The Secret of Sacred Art and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash sacredart. You can send us um, comments at e- uh, by email at sacred... Let's make sure we get it right. Sacredart at sqpn.com. Please email us if you find something as curiously fascinating like this for you. And you can also leave us comments on YouTube or by visiting our channel on the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. A lot of fun conversations happening on Discord and I love sharing little yes. finds like this with people. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing God's Architect. August Welby Pugin. Until then, I'm Alex Murray. And I'm Catherine Laffrey, hoping you find something beautiful. Bye-bye. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Let's Science. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science.